0: Uh, we're, we're in the series. I don't know what we're calling it. I think uh, the Bible. That's pretty clever. Uh, we're a pretty hip church. We have we have LED lights that move, and so we come up with clever titles. And the one we came up with this is the Bible, or something like that. Um, and here, here's kind of here's kind of the, the the deal on it. Okay, uh, here's here's what, what we want you to know. Um, there's one thing, or no, thing is definitely the wrong term. Um, Well, thing, uh, yeah, let me start there. There's one thing that we care about in this place. Really, like I mean we want to make a symbol for you to connect to God and we say this church is for unchurch people, you know, all those kind of things. But here's what it really is all about. It's all about Jesus. And some of you that might be a little weird, a little closed minded, and I understand that and hear me, there's no judgment in this place. You you walk your own journey, you take your time, we'll be here the whole time. Okay. Uh, if you fall, we'll pick you up, we'll love you like there is no manipulation. I'm not trying to convince you of anything today. Uh, luckily in Genesis chapter three, it explains a whole bunch about About life, and and, and I think it actually provides some pretty good explanation. Even at this point, if you don't believe there's a God, or believe Jesus is the way to God, or that He died, or some, you think that's just kind of myth. That's okay. Um, But this will this should be able to provide you a little bit of explanation. But there's one that's it. The only thing that we really care about in this deal is Jesus. And um, the Bible says that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, and His ways are not our ways. As high as the the heavens are from the earth, so are His thoughts from our thoughts, and ways from our ways. And what we've discovered is, um, in order to be all about Jesus we need to figure out a way to get his thoughts and his ways and luckily he gave us a way to do that and it's called his word so when we say we're all about Jesus it's hard to say we're all about Jesus and not say we're all about his word okay again this is not about being closed minded it's like man there's, this is more than just like a, a history book or a how to do book this literally is a love letter kind of creepy for us dudes I get that but it's a, a letter like an absolute letter from, from God to us saying let me just show you my thoughts and ways like if I tried to lay it out on a whiteboard you wouldn't get it and if i tried to tell you in 10 words or less you wouldn't get it so here's just the story of me okay this is his story right i mean he said so but we, we kind of like okay in order to understand jesus fully we need to we need to take a look at his word so that's what that, that's what we're kind of do. but even that becomes complicated and, I, and i'll confess that this has been a big battle for me as a as a pastor preacher teacher uh, uh whatever whatever term we use there because it'd be real easy to sit in a room and say what should we talk about we should talk about god's love okay Let's look, oh yeah, we'll go to First John 8. seven eight. We'll preach that, beloved. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. There we go, bam. Let's create a sermon on it, right? I mean, not bad. Or we can just let's just talk about God's grace, man. You know, for the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Let's just talk about that. And while I, while I think that's, I'm not, I'm not saying that's an unhealthy approach uh, for me as a chief manipulator. Like that's in that's in my DNA. It's it's definitely in my religious DNA. It, it would be real easy to try to go to a passage and convince you of something to get you to operate in a certain way. And and that term, that when you go to a passage to pull it out, to to make it say what you want to, is something it's called Jesus, Not J-E-S-U-S, but I-S-O-G-E-S-I-S. And that literally means to go and pluck something out of Scripture and say, this is this is how it applies, right? Which we see in a really murky world where you can take the Bible and lean it in all sorts of different directions and have it say what you want to and it doesn't say any of those things, right? You know, like, for for example, we could talk about David having to kill the Philistines and cut off their foreskins. See, God's crazy. You're right. That is nuts, right? And that's all we see all of a sudden. It's like, yeah, I'm never going back to church. There's some man, he had a gray beard and he told this little man who played a harp to go kill some people and bring back this really weird, I didn't know what that was. Don't Google it. You know, whatever that deal is. Like, I mean, if, if that's where we end up in this deal, it's like, yep, there it is. Crazy God, right? I mean, so it's like even in that, there becomes this danger in just going and plucking out Scripture. And so there's kind of Two different approaches, um, and uh, what we've decided, and we decided a couple years back, is that we would uh, exegetically, so you have eisegesis means to pluck out, and exegesis or uh, um, which is E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S means to literally take the word at face value and allow it to speak to us. Okay? Because I don't have any good for you. Like, I can't offer you good advice. To be honest with you, I'm not a good person. I want to be. I try really hard. I fail daily. So for you to, to get advice from me is actually just really dangerous, right? And so it's like, man, it makes more sense for us to say, God, would your word please speak? No, the problem is, is God's word is big and long. And he wrote every single bit of it to show us how he loved us and appoint us to a son, Jesus, which means in Genesis, which is the Old Testament, that was all about Jesus. All the way to the New Testament, Revelation, I think there's like 66 books of the Bible. Here's another confession for you, okay? Real quick. I don't know the books of the Bible in order. I actually feel pretty good telling you that. Like, I'm not even kidding. This is such, like this is like one of those messy things as a pastor that, like, I mean, I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. I did the want thing or RAs. I'm a royal ambassador, you know, or whatever those things are. Um, I, I actually I don't remember the, the whole thing anymore. And I never knew all the books of the Bible. In fact, here's the messiest part. There was one time I had to I had to to take a test on it for one of my Sunday school classes to get a like a Snickers bar. Um, and I cheated. Oh my God. <laughs> that messed up. Like, I cheated on the books of the Bible to get a Snickers bar at church. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I have nothing good really to offer you there. I mean, I know them all, I think, for the most part. Um, and so uh, it has made sense that we would start in the beginning and work our way all the way through to the end. And it's going to take us three years. So um, so we're in week three. And not that we're going to go through every chapter of the Bible, but we're going to work through for the next, uh, I guess now, 153 weeks of working through and saying, where is Jesus and what is he doing? It's, a pretty, it's pretty crazy, right? Like, uh, what do you all do at church? Well, we read the Bible. You know that, that's about all we have to offer, but there are there are fancy lights. <laughs> you know, I think they play drums. It's crazy. Um, and the other side of this, so uh, you'll know, if you're a mom or dad, or if you happen to ever bring a kid here uh, through fifth grade, know that they're doing the same thing. Know that even in this moment, right now, they're reading through Genesis three. They're saying, "Where is Jesus?" In fact, uh, kind of the template for this is a book called Long Story Short by Marty Makowski. Uh If you want to go to our website or go to Facebook, connect to the Connect City Church on Facebook, you'll see that. Book and we are recommending that you go and you grab that book. If you have kids, there's a devotional that you can work through every day of the week. Uh, the same conversation we're having here, minus the foreskins, okay, um, is happening. I just want to be clear there. It's happening up there in our in our kids' space. In fact, they were they actually were participating and worshiping with us just a second ago, and now they're back in to the the, the kids' space upstairs working through the same material. So you'll be equipped to have these conversations with your with your kids. So please be brave enough to say, ask your children, hey, what'd y'all talk about today? And you'll know exactly what's going on. And you'll be able to talk to him about it. So that's there. And so now, here we go to Genesis chapter three. And then it took us a little while to get there. Um, and here's kind of here's here's kind of the plan. Okay. Let me fix this real quick. Okay. So uh, the plan is this. The plan is um, as we as we read scripture. Okay. Every week we're going to go through it, and it will be fun and all that kind of stuff. And we have one goal every week, and it's to say, okay, even long before Jesus shows up and dies on a cross, where is he in this, right? And so uh, the, what we're going to look at as we work through this is just that one question. Where is Jesus? Where do we find him? And, and I think we, uh, we'll find him in some, some pretty cool arenas here in, in the story. One other, one other quick disclaimer is while the Gospel of John and all the Gospels are really great books, and if someone were to say, hey, where should I start reading the Bible, I would say the Gospel. Of John. That's where I'd send them, right? Hey, go there, read through it. It's like 30 chapters or a little less, something like that. And so you can read through it, take you a month, and learn all about who Jesus is. And while I think that's a, a very valuable and probably the best place to start in the New Testament, I personally do not believe there's a more important book, and this is my own preference, and this is in my own opinion, um, more important book in the Bible than Genesis, okay? Because it gives us a foundation to explain why are we so messed up and why do we do the things we do? What we find in Genesis chapter 3 is straight out of the soap opera, right? Right? In fact, even in this, like even that, I think there's a queen song about another one bites the dust. Even that comes from this understanding in Genesis chapter three. I mean, our, our world, the thread of our world, and the thread of the Bible, like the whole deal is kind of is all founded right here in Genesis chapter three. And so, as, uh, one other thing that you, I want to make sure you understand is Genesis. Some of you say, "Well, I hear, hear that book's just a myth." Just real quick, for us of us as believers, some of you if you're not sure yet, that's fine. But for us as believers, we're like, well, I don't really think the flood actually happened. But no, I think those are just some great stories. There are some quick things I just want want to point out very, very briefly in this. The first one is Hebrew folks, when they wrote this, had no understanding of myth. Okay? If you look back to the history of things written at the time, they didn't write in myths. In fact, they were very serious people. They didn't do fantasy stuff. They didn't play Dungeons and Dragons. They didn't like Star Wars. Thank God, you know. They didn't go to Trekkie conventions. I mean, they were they were serious folk. You know, like A equaled A, and that was it. Like everything was black and white. And so the idea of saying no, that's all myth or legend, that's not even something that Jewish culture four thousand years ago actually even did, right? And so that the first thing. The second thing is. The things referenced in Genesis are actually real places. Like, they're real places. Like, they're not make-believe places like in Harry Potter or in, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings. Like, they're not, like, that kind of thing. I mean, they're, they're real places. In fact, some of these places are still there. Some of the things that are mentioned in Genesis are, are you can actually still go to and put your feet on in this moment. So the second one is like that they're, they're real places. And the third one's this. Jesus was pretty straightforward about these places. When he discussed Abraham and Moses... He didn't say, well, they're kind of, you know, those fairy tale guys from, you know, the books past. Right? No, no, like Jesus was very straightforward. So just kind of a quick, uh, I guess it's an argument. I'm not trying to persuade you in any way. But kind of like here's some kind of foundations of why we're going to look at this as actually, this is a true story. This really happened. The other thing is that Genesis is not the beginning. While we call it the beginning, it's the beginning of God letting us in on the story. Okay? That's not when God begins. It wasn't like in the beginning God sprouts up. You know, it's not like, oh, there's God. Oh, goodness. Fine. Somebody did the little jack in the box. There's God. No, let's get started. Earth, moon, you know, that, those things didn't happen. This is the beginning of when He gets lets us in on the story. This is our beginning into the story, not Jesus'. or are not God's. They always were. In fact, we get some picture of it in Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, even some revelation, of what happens prior to the beginning, like pre-beginning, right? Confusing, right? Like before the beginning. And in there we see uh, God, and he's perfect, and he's got his angels, and everything is everything it should be, like God's in charge. And then Arrogant angel named Lucifer. Uh, and again, I understand that this may sound a little fairy tale, let's just stay with me. He gets angry and decides he wants to be God. Crazy. People I mean, you never would think pride would get in the way and hurt people. But um, Lucifer decides to be God. He tries to create this coup, which I would never recommend a coup against Jesus and God, because you know they speak things into existence. So it'd be like, let's fight Jesus. And they're like, they walk in with their bazookas, and God and Jesus are like, go, go. Bazooka destroyer, and all of a sudden they're like, you know, it's like, well, what am I supposed to do now, right? And no, at least that's how I imagine it. Um, and so, like, I wouldn't recommend it, but G- Satan decides to try to fight God, and he, you know, he rallies together some some people, and they get together some angels, and they decide to fight God, and they lose, and they get kicked out. So that's for demons. That's where Satan comes from. We get some ideas. That's not much of it in Genesis, but we get the idea of what happened. So you got God, who's all powerful, His Son Jesus, the Holy Spirit, always from the beginning, and two thirds of the angels, they're there ready to. to kicked hell, right? And you got Satan and his prideful little demons and that's kind of where that all begins, long before we get to Genesis 1. Again, fairy tale. This kind of sounds kind of weird, but just stay with me. This all really happened. You're going to see in Genesis 3 why this kind of could possibly make sense. And so all that is kind of a precursor. We saw in Genesis 1, God made all the moon, stars, earth, all that kind of stuff and spoke them into existence. He said they're good. Genesis 2, he takes Adam and Eve. He makes them and things are really good, right? And at the very end of Genesis chapter two, there's this 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 segue into what explains so much about us. And at the very end of Genesis chapter two, that's what it says. And they were naked and felt no shame. That's what it said. Not making it up, right? So here they were. We have the end of the book, end of chapter two, and there you have Adam and Eve. Sitting around nude, playing Yahtzee. Right? That's what we got. There, That's it. And everything is good. And then we pick up in Genesis chapter 3. And it's about to get complicated. And instead of me setting up anymore, luckily the the kiddos on the screen did a good job. Let's just jump in and read it. This is Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to begin with verse 1. And we'll just walk walk through it together. Hold hands and have fun. Maybe even do some skipping. So Genesis 3, verse 1. Here it goes. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Um, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. So understand here they're naked, they're hanging out, and all of a sudden the serpent comes up. Okay, the serpent is Satan. It is Lucifer. Like this is the enemy. This is the deal. And you're like, well, why would God even allow them? The point was always Jesus. Whatever God needed to do to make sure that we understood we needed Jesus, that's what he was going to do. Why did he put a tree with fruit? The point was always Jesus. He needed us to see Jesus. So if we needed to fail and Messed up so we could see we needed a Savior. Fine. God was going to do what he needed to do. But regardless, in this moment you have Satan. He's sitting there and he's talking as a snake to a naked woman. No shame. And they're having this conversation, right? Let see this. The first thing he says. Did God actually say to you, you shall not eat any? of any tree in the garden. So understand in Genesis 2, what God says is, hey, you can eat from all the trees other than that one, right? So even the very first statement that we see of the enemy, here he is twisting, right? Twisting words in a pretty messy way. And the woman said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. So much all that's true, right? And again, God says this to Adam. I'm guessing Adam relays this to Eve. And so this is kind of the, okay, all that's true so far, but this is not the last statement. But neither shall you touch it lest you die. Okay? Eve kind of adds her own little, you know, you've ever played a telephone game where you sit in a circle and you whisper in each other's ears. And you start with like the word hot dog and you end up with the word, I'm going to scratch your eyeballs out. You know what I'm talking about? Wait, is that not how it end up for you? That was actually the most appropriate transition I made in that game ever. Um, but anyway, so like that's kind of what's happening here and there. And, it, and so she adds it. And then verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So understand, you got naked Eve having a good time. Uh, I don't know what Adam's doing, uh, counting cows, and and so Eve's there. Maybe I don't. Maybe he's standing there watching this whole go down, and you got serpent talking again. I understand why this sounds crazy, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, I want to buy into that. Let me follow that religion. Uh, And so you got naked woman, serpent talking, and he's. Starts twisting the words, and essentially he's like, "This is what it would look like." Um, I don't know if y'all kept up with the Ariel, Ariel Castro story, uh, the the guy who. Picked up girls over the last 10, 11 years and kept held them captive in his house. And then uh, he, they, they find him, he goes to prison, and he kills himself. Just a, a messy deal. And I have a lot of opinions on all that, uh, not that, that matter for this stage. But, you know, one of the things that I was reading about in it is that I'm, I'm really intrigued by really, really, really evil people. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm just really intrigued by them because I'm so curious to how all that takes place. And I'm not ever surprised by it because we are just really broken. and also, of us are only two or three or four bad decisions down a slippery slope that leads us into a really messy place. No one wakes up when they're little and they say, what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, you know what I want to do is I want to kidnap girls and help hold them captive, right? Like that's not where anybody starts, right? It's a cumulative effect. It's like it's little by little, day by day, as you make these messy decisions, that's where you end up. Well, so Ariel did that. And so what he learned through the process as he was, as he was getting the girls, he was saying like they, he would just stop and say, I'll give you a ride. And they would say something like this. Now, my mom and dad said uh, um, that I shouldn't ride with anyone. Well, yeah, I understand that, but your mom and dad didn't know me. Like, I'm I'm good. You can, I have good references. Like, all the neighbors like me, and I got candy. (laughs) You know, whatever it is in that deal. And like, you see this interaction where you have this innocence being manipulated by this person saying, "Well, this is not. You sure that's exactly what your mom said? Your mom didn't know that you wanted to walk three miles in the rain. If she knew it was a rain, she would have understood that you were going to catch pneumonia, and she wouldn't want you to have pneumonia. You're going to have pneumonia now. You're going to go to the doctor, and then you're not going to go to school. Then you're going to fail all your classes." And then your mom's going to hate you, right? Or whatever that is. And so, like, you, you see this progression. And so here you have this conversation between uh, a, some kind of kidnapper, someone who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and innocence. And that's kind of what's happening here with Eve and the serpent. Is He's like, well, that's not exactly what my, our heavenly father, like my dad, said. Well, are you sure that he didn't mean this? Or really, like, let me let, me let you in on a secret. They really don't, like, your parents don't want you to ride with me? Because they want life to be harder on you. Because they ride in cars, and if you ride in a car, then you'll be like them, and you're not capable of being like them. And they're like, "Oh, I'll show them." You know, like, so you see this interaction? This person just kind of pulling at someone's pride and saying, "Look, let me just tell you what's going on. I've known God a lot longer than you have. And here's I know about God: He's really into himself, and He doesn't want you to have any fun. Right? I mean, haven't you kind of heard the same story about God? Either he doesn't exist, or if he does, like, man, I hear he's really stuck on himself. And he gives us all these rules because he wants us to be miserable. Right? He, like, puts us in these little boxes and says, you stay there. Right? Like, and really? Like, the reason he does that is because he's really insecure, and he doesn't want you to be like him. And so here's this conversation between Adam, I mean, Eve and the serpent. Really, he's dangling this carrot saying, look, you don't understand. Like... Your problem, which is funny because this is all of our problems, right? I mean, even this is what the world will tell you. This is a solution to your problem. Eve, you just need a little bit more self-esteem. You know what? You're really insecure. Like, you should be more confident in your decision-making. Like, go with what you feel. Eve. Just follow your heart; it always leads to a good place. Like, I mean, right? I mean, isn't that kind of the conversation we have? That that's even the good advice or the advice we like is just follow your heart. Please don't follow my heart, really. If you follow my heart, you will be seven hundred pounds, and all you will do is sit in front of a couch and eat cookie cream, cookies and cream ice cream, right, <laughs> straight from the carton, because that's what I feel like doing every day. I'm not even I'm not even being funny there, right? And so it's like, here's the deal. I'm like, so this is what you know. This servant's saying, eh, "Just." Follow Follow your heart, and let's, just, let's keep up. Um, for, uh, but the sermon said, "You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, uh, to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was there with her, and he ate. This guy's is watching football. Hey, honey, eat too. Oh, well, okay." <laughs> Mm, mm. Good. Mm, mm. You know? So he's got this he's got this fruit one like mm, mm, good this goes well with my turkey like you know <laughs> <laughs> Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were Naked, not naked. Okay, oh, I'll, I'll speak y'all's language. I got your back. Let me read that again. Then the eyes are open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Um, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And just another disclaimer. I said you should never try to do a coup and take over heaven, you know, because God can do the bazooka blaster, God is probably the wrong person to play hide and go seek with as well. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, oh, man, we hit, like, God's like, oh, I don't know where they went. <laughs> you know, like, I, I, I went to bed last night, I, I left the gate open, I come back, and, and they're gone, <laughs> right? Like, so, just keep going, it's so good. But the Lord called to the man and the woman and said to him, or called to the man, and said, where are are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. You see what happens here? Like, okay. You cannot, you can say, you can say that, okay, the Bible's not true. But I guarantee you, you'll watch this scenario happen every time, right? Briggs, why is there stuff all over the floor? Amelia did it, right? Hey, let me, let me just tell you. Um, I did it yesterday. Like I did it yesterday. It was really sad because I had a, a pretty easy week. We got a pig back, right? I don't know if you know. We had a pig. We lost it. Um, Boston is uh, its name for Boston, but we don't say the whole thing all the time. Because, uh, but anyway, uh, Boston. That we're gonna eat. Like we're gonna slaughter it. Like and we're gonna give you all sausage for Christmas. And um, only if you show up at our house with a gift. And we're we'll like, oh yeah, we got you something too. Here's some sausage. Um, and so. Um, uh, and so, our neighbor, way down about a quarter of a mile or half a mile down the road, uh, he, um, he had been feeding it bread and had been living underneath its porch. This wild hog was living underneath his porch, and he was able to catch it with a lasso. And I felt really unmanly. So, he catches it with a lasso, and I'm like, I got my boots on. I can handle the rest of this. And so, I go, and I grab this pig to take it home. And I kid you not, that little piggy went wham, wham, wham all the way home. I am not making that up. It was like, wow! And it was like, I mean, it was freaking, it was like, and it was mean, like it was snapping at my face. And I'm like, so I'm like carrying it, and I'm like, I'm sweaty, it's sweaty, and it's like, but anyway, so we got the pick home, it's in a one-by-one one box, it's not going anywhere. And, um, um, and so we got the pick home, so other than that, I was like, man, I have nothing really good to talk about this week, other than the Bible, of course. Um, and so, and yesterday we come here, we've been, we did Sunday school classes downstairs, we moved all the kids' stuff upstairs, lots of fun, and on the way home, um, I was driving uh, our Prius, Got, yeah, and, my, uh, and um, <laughs> I kid you not, I was driving up the road, and Julie's like, what's going on? And I said, here's what I'll tell you, babe. Just pray we make it to the top of that hill, because if we make it to the top of that hill, I might be able to coast close enough to a gas station to walk. <laughs> I ran a Prius out of gas. <laughs> Explain that to me. I ran a Prius, you know, like it gets like 112 miles uh to the gallon and um I ran out of gas and I, I had to like get it over on the side of the road a little bit <laughs> and a cop pulled over and a state patrolman and he's like, What you doing? I'm like, I bet you've never seen a Prius out of gas before <laughs> I was like Abracadabra, you know, like it's so <laughs> run this Prius out of gas, and luckily, um, Jim Purcell came and rescued me and got us gas and got us on the way, and so that was like, okay, that's a fun story. But anyway, when I, as soon as it happened, I thought, who drove this car last? Please, God, tell me it was Julie, please tell me, Lord. Like, that's where I went because I'm like, I'm really gonna have to sign this to her, Julie, like. Really? Like, you couldn't, she, this is pretend, Julie. She's not here. Like, my wife is real. <laughs> like, she's real, I tell you. Julie, like, why did you not stop and get gas? Well, well, her response has been, because I don't have any money, Josh, because uh, uh, you keep it all from me. Well, get a job, you know, or whatever. I'm just joking. No, 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 no. Like, that's what I would have said in that moment, because I was grumpy and angry, but not what I mean at all. My wife has a real job. She takes care of our children, and they're both healthy, really healthy, especially their thighs. There's lots of that going on for both of them. And so, um, I'm sitting there, we're talking, and so, like, I just, immediately I go to, who can I blame for this? I'm okay, it's not Julie. Julie hasn't driven the car in a long time, and I've driven it most of the the time for the last week, there must be something wrong with this car. Julie, I didn't hear it beep. That's what I said. <laughs> like, no, it didn't beep. Like, I, I mean, no, there's no way. I mean, there's just no way. There's there got to be something. There's got to be a fuel leak, right? Like, immediately I go to blame. someone. Like, right? You get caught with something. It's not like, I mean, it'd be so nice to hear someone before they get caught with something just stand up and say, I did it. It's my fault. And I accept responsibility. What's the last time you heard that? I did it. It's my fault. And I accept responsibility. Right? Now, you know, like, typically it's, well, yeah. Or even if we do that sort of, right? If we think we're going to get caught, we confess it. But just enough of the information to kind of hold us over, right? And let me tell you this about it. Uh, I may have fill in the blank, right? And just a little bit of information because here's the deal. And then the reason I did it was because blank, right? Well, I did this, but, and we fill in the blank, right? From the very beginning of time, you see right here in this moment, the first time they mess up, they see God and they're like, ah, oh, God, and he's looking at God, and God's saying, how would you know you did that? And he said, she did it, right? No, watch this, okay? It's not just, it's not just men. No, let me, let me keep going. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And that's what she said. "What me, right? Then the Lord God said to the woman, what has you done? And the woman said, I did it. I accept full responsibility. It's all my fault. I've wrecked the world. I'm just joking. There's no one that says it all, right? The serpent deceived me and I ate, right? The serpent did it. No, the man goes, no, woman. The woman says, nope, serpent, right? We understand this. We live in this. We experience it. If you have kids, you understand it. If you don't even like, look at yourself, look. The deal is we hate pride, right? We hate when our kids are prideful. We hate when our spouse is prideful. And we can call it out real quick, but none of us like to acknowledge that it's our problem, too. We're real good at pointing out on other people, right? Same thing. Hey, let me call this out. This is her fault. Nope, this is the serpent's fault. So all of a sudden, we have this blame game going on. Look what it says. The Lord God said to this, okay? Now all of a sudden we get into it, okay? God kind of gets to the bottom of it like Judge Judy, okay? And he says, okay, let me just, let me just have a ruling here. The Lord God looked at the serpent and said, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put, pay attention to this, enmity between you and the woman In between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and he, you shall bruise his. Hill. Okay. We're at the word end of the team there means separation, like conflict. Like there will be a battle between you. Like between now and then, there will be a separation, and you will spend all your journey trying to get at them. Right? So he says, Let me just explain to you what's about to happen. Let me tell you, like, this was going to be good. This was going to be heaven on earth, right? Like, everything was going to be good. Like the garden, the eating, like the food just falling from her. Prime rib every night if you want it. Or, you know, if you don't like the fatty meats, okay, fine. Filet. Whatever it is for you. Like, whatever you want, you can have. It's good. Don't have to work for it. Don't have to sweat. You can just be naked, right? You don't have to shave underneath your armpits. Nothing. Like, it's just all good, right? Like, everything's good, everything's nice, everything's perfect, all those things, right? Everything's good, and then you messed it up. And let me just tell you what's about to happen. And so God lays out the result of us just being really messy, broken people. He says, I will put enmity between you, and then I will separate you. And there'll come a day me read it. I will Put infancy between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he, meaning the offspring, right, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Okay? Let me explain this to you. What God's saying here, and this is where Jesus shows up, right? He's saying, look, there'll come a day that Eve, your great, 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 He's gonna show up. And he's gonna be born in a manger. And he's gonna show up for one purpose, and it's always been since the beginning of time, and to show off that he is God and He is in charge and He is King and He is gracious and He's loving. And while there's justice to be had because you disobeyed, there's also grace and love to be offered and received because of what my son's gonna do. So the point's always in my son and my son's gonna show up. And and Satan, I want you to understand this. He is gonna destroy your head. And you're going to hit his heel, right? Okay. This kind of sounds silly, but let me just explain it to you this way. Imagine I don't, I don't watch UFC because I, I don't know. I have this weird thing. I'm like I don't know what to yell when I watch it. Just like I don't watch the the wrestlers. I'm, again, I'm speaking your language. I don't watch the wrestlers. I and down. I went to a wrestling match once when I was a youth pastor to watch some of our students who were in our youth ministry at a state championship. And the only thing I knew to yell was this. So I stand because he offered like, asked me to come down the stage and stand or come down the arena wherever it was, Georgia Dome or. Uh, AT, uh, somewhere, there. I don't know where it was, and so we was standing there, and I was right beside him, He's like, yeah, come down there with the coach, and the coach was yelling, he was like, I don't know, I was going to say some things, but it don't make any sense to me, so he was just saying this, we well, in get 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 you know, like that, and so I was like, I got to say something, so I was like, Thomas, rip his head off, rip his head off, Thomas, because that's all I knew to say, which I don't think you're supposed to say in wrestling, I mean, that would have been crazy, right, like, uh, trust me, I know exactly what it looks like to be indoors, and a head be slaughtered, and blood shooting everywhere, uh, you can, um, no, it was from like a couple weeks ago, and it was a chicken, okay not, not big of a deal Um, so I was watching the the deal and so I don't really know but imagine like UFC I do know that I watch SportsCenter enough to watch the weigh-ins right so imagine this Imagine the way in the two guys, you know, they get right in each other's face. You know, what I'm talking about they stand on right in each other's face. And, like, it's so funny. I wish I could be in that position one time because I would. oh, man, that would be so fun. So we're standing in each other's face. And all of a sudden, you know, like sometimes they get so angry and they start to fight. And what if one guy just goes and punches the other in the mouth, right? And he's like, and he falls down. And he just starts hitting his heel. You see that? Like, if you're with me here, you understand what Jesus is saying. You're like, I'll show you. <laughs> God won't mess with me no more, right? So this is what Jesus is saying in the middle of this moment. It's like God's saying, look, here's the deal. You're going to be swatting at his heel, and he's going to destroy your face, right? Different picture, right? And so he says, look, I'm going to tell you, I win. That's what he's saying here. But then he continues. He says, guys, but it doesn't look good. That's what I want you to hear. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Guys, are like, yes, verse 16, baby, it says you're going to, you're going to. You're going to desire me, right? Your desire me for your husband. huh <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know? That's not what it means, okay? The same term is used again in, in chapter uh, in, in, in chapter 4 with Cain and Abel. You'll hear about it next week. Joseph's going to teach you on it. Um, uh, it says that Cain desired to rule over Abel. That's actually what that term means. It means the husband wants to rule over your wife. And now your guys are like, yep, that's what I meant. I knew that. Because here's what we know, right? A happy wife is a happy what? Wow. Life, life sounds better here, okay? I mean, house works, but it's a little, more, a little more catchy. Happy wife is a happy life, right? And, um, and so we know that. Have you ever heard a happy husband is a happy house or whatever? Nope, nobody cares, right? Because here's the, nobody cares. It's like, man, if only my husband were happy, everything would be good. Nobody ever says that. If a man says, well, I can just be happy, everything would be good here. No, it's a happy wife is a happy life, right? And so here's what we see here, okay? So ladies, you're going to be a little offended, but not too much. What you notice throughout the history from this point forward is you... Um, there's this little three-letter word that I think um, explains a lot of how this happens in our life. Um, it's NAG. Y'all know that word? Nag. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a noun, okay? It's a verb, okay? I mean, it could be a noun, but I'm not meaning it in a noun in this, in this form. It's nag, right? Like, you see this. You see every day like this. This is battle. And ladies, let's, just going, you don't have to be honest here. Don't raise your hand. This is not, it's not even rhetorical. I'm just going to call it out on you, and you can write me a, a messy email and nag me. <laughs> you can write me an email and prove me right. That's what I'm trying to say here. Um <laughs> it kind of stuck (laughs) you didn't say anything about punching you in the face right (laughs) but there's this little thing that there's just something in us that yeah hey, hey, yeah here's a, and you feel this like you want a strong like my, like courageous bold decisive husband but you still also want to tweak it a little bit right you you feel it like, like oh yeah I man why can't you be more brave all oh, I am but every time I do I get this well why can't you just deal with that too I try to every day happy wife is happy life right and so you wrestle this and here here's where we end up right now, It's not bad or good it's just truth we end up here <laughs> okay you win. <laughs> right? Well, I was, okay. Yeah. That sounds great for dinner. Yeah. Oh, please let us watch that movie. <laughs> please. Like I have been reading more about the notebook and I just, look. Like, if Nicholas Sparks has written it, I want to see it. Okay, babe. Right. That's end up. That's just where it is, right? Okay. Whatever. You know, that's where guys go. Okay. Whatever. Right. And women are like, yep. See, so here it is. We want, you want a strong husband, but you also just want to tweak a little, right? Again, from the beginning, tell me it's not true. And I'm saying here's the deal in the Bible. From the very beginning, that's what shows up. No, oh guys, that's what it says next. To the woman, he said that Uh, uh, he'll multiply your pain during childbirth. I don't really buy all that. I've been in there; it seems really easy. Um, (laughs) I'm just joking. Uh, Whoa! My wife had like 47 hours of labor for two kids, no meds, right? Happy wife is a happy life, right? Say with me. Say with me. Hey, let's just go ahead and hit the recording. Cut this thing off, and we're gonna, this is not going on the internet. I'm just joking, not really, but. And he said this. And to Adam he said, "Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curses the ground because of you; in pain forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and dust you shall return. Okay, bite the dust is what that's where that term comes from, right there. Um, so here's what we have, right? So he's basically saying, hey, Adam, here's the deal. Like, this was really good. All these animals came to you. You got to eat beef. You had all this fruit. Now you have to work for it. I, you know, I moved to Somerville, and I get that. Like, twice this week, earlier this week, the cows got out, um, and I have someone to blame for it, uh, and, um, and I had to chase them through the woods in the middle of the night, and the only thing I had to do is thinking, okay, the mama cow's looking for the baby cow, so I was just running through the woods going, no, mmm. it's all I got, right? And like, I'm chasing it and throwing sticks, and I can, God, like, this thing is 1,200 pounds, please don't let it, like, slaughter me in the middle of the woods in the middle of the night, this big black. Shadow just ruined me. So I finally, I got back in. Everything was good. Well, so I was like, Oh, that's good. Not too bad. Not really not much to talk about. Yes, it's hard work, but whatever. Well, um, I got a call this morning about nine from 911 in Chattuca County saying my cows were in the, the middle of the road. And so I, they said, But some farmer got them and put them in his fence. And, hey, and he's like, Hey, here's where the farmer is. So I went up to talk to him. And I knocked on the door and said, Hey, I, you got my cows. They're over there. They look really nice. Aren't they sweet and loving? And um, do you mind if I leave them here to after church? Because I got to go do the Lord's work and I'll come back and do, you know, the man's work. And so I'm going to go do that and come back. And he said, how'd they get out? And I was like, um, uh, uh, the, the, the gate was left open. <laughs> And he said, the the, "the the gate it, it was left open." You ain't much of a farmer there, are you, boy? <laughs> and I said, "No, sir, I'm not." <laughs> you know? So I'm like, you know, here I am. Like, I'm like, oh, I get this. Like, it is so much work. Like, why can't it just be easy? Why can't my cows just come to me and I go, here hamburger, here hamburger, come here. And then I'm like, I'm ready to eat you, and all of a sudden, it just skin peels off, all the organs just like disintegrate. There's just all this great red meat, right? And like, why can't it be that way? No, there's hard work, and we get that. We get there's hard work, and in the beginning, it wasn't supposed to be that way. In the beginning, it was us and God, and we just messed all it up. And so God just lays it all out, right? And then he continues. Here's what he says. The man called his wife's name because she was the mother of all living, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them, okay? Okay? Let me read it. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent them from the garden of Eden to work the ground for which he was taken. He drove out the man, and out of the east of the garden, he placed the cherubim in a flaming sword that turned away every, every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So he basically said, Hey, you're not here anymore, right? But there's a unique thing that happens. We see in verse 15 that God says, Yeah, this really stinks, but there's going to be a better option. And then we see again in... Um, At the end of this, it says that um, God literally takes their fig leaves, right? And he slaughters animals. Like, literally, this is the first blood sacrifice we see to cover their bodies. Like, a pretty cool deal of even foreshadowing saying this is also where Jesus is. Because what God is saying is, while this is a band-aid to fix it, it's going to take death to fix your your mess. It's going to take a sacrifice of some kind to cover you up. There will be a bigger one that won't just cover your body so you won't be ashamed. There will be a, a, a blood sacrifice from me, from the God of this universe, that will cover every bit of your shame, right? Like, and that's the picture of this. Like that's what's happening before then. And this is, this is really what it's all been about. If there's a way to describe our life, it's this. Since Adam and Eve ate that fruit, it's all been about fig leaves. Sure, really what it's all been about, and that's what we can all define it as. That's our worldview. Like that's what we live in. Is this all about fig leaves? It's like, what do we cover up? How do we put it in a certain way so it makes us look good? Or how do we cover whatever else we need up? Like it's all about fig leaves. I'm not talking about just their body. I'm talking about what we pretend about. I'm talking about our Facebook statuses. I'm talking about how much money we say we make, right? And we fill it out. You're like, oh yes, yeah, good. That says twenty four nine nine nine. Well, that's us round up twenty five. So now I can be in the twenty five to fifty thousand category, right? It's like even those things. Like somehow we believe it makes us look better, and we spend all this time and all this energy and trying to do things and all we're really doing is taking fig leaves and covering up all how nasty and ashamed we really are and we see at the end of this chapter right we see in the end of this deal what actually happens is we see that God says look let me let me make a better sacrifice on your behalf while this doesn't cover up all your shame and fix everything for all eternity it does fix your shame in the day don't wear fig leaves and you literally see him slaughter animals and put skin on them to cover up their shame You see, this is what it looks like. The first Adam showed up, didn't lead well, didn't protect well, didn't fight well, made every excuse in the world to make it someone else's problem and never really accept responsibility, right? The first Adam did that. The Bible in uh, in Romans 5, and we'll read it in just a second, talks about a second Adam. That second Adam shows up. His name's Jesus. Adam and even the, the first Adam messes up, and what happens? he gets kicked out to the wilderness. Second Adam shows up, volunteers to go to the wilderness for forty days. Why is there? A serpent shows up in the form of Satan shows up, and what does he do? He tempts Jesus he says, "See all this He takes it up to a cliff and says, "You can have all this." You see that bread, you don't have to fast anymore, you can eat this. And you see Jesus over and over again. Go back to his word in Deuteronomy and he quotes, man, you can't live by bread alone, but on the word of God. You see him over and over again fight and fight with scripture and say, there's no way you can do this, right? So he shows up, goes in the wilderness, gets tempted. He uses the word so the serpent doesn't get to, 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 to tempt him, right? So what does the serpent do next? Well, in a couple of years, he tempts one of Jesus' best friends, Judas. So Judas says, it "Was it was in the spirit of Satan, was controlled by Satan, comes and turns over Jesus." If you don't know the story, Jesus—they're looking for Jesus. They want to kill him, and Jesus is spending some last time with his brothers, who he loves dearly. And by brothers, I mean like a uh, uh, heavenly family, not necessarily blood family. And he's been there with his disciples, and Judas comes and kisses him, and Jesus looks at him and says, "Man, you, you're my brother." And here you are, like turning your back on me in this moment. Like you just turned your back on me, like right here, right now. You just, you just did it, like, and with a kiss, right? So we see, we see that he's, he's he can't be tempted. So one like us gets tempted and turns Jesus over. So they get to Judas, and then that helps them get to Jesus. And then Jesus, as we see in both history and in all four gospel accounts, that Jesus, the second Adam, is killed, right? Like he finally gets to. Him. And as he was killed, you see the serpent finally feel like, good, I did it. I slaughtered him. And Jesus is like, no, you just hit me on the hill. Like, that's all you did. Like, you put me in the grave, but I needed to go there because these guys didn't believe in me. They didn't believe I was real. Like, I kept saying I was God and I was his son and I was a Savior, but they didn't buy it. So thank you. Thank you, Satan, for setting this up so I can go into a grave dead. So all of history gets spent all their time marking about how this could possibly be the tomb that I was put in because I was dead on a cross. So people who really wrote about it both secular and religious could claim that the god the guy who said he was a god of the universe was killed and put into a tomb he said that was actually you striking me on the hill because what it actually allowed me to do was show that i was actually god because i came out of there two things happened Why he's dying he's literally being the same blood sacrifice that in the beginning was a substitute a band-aid just to cover our bodies out of shame to be the ultimate sacrifice to cover our shame for eternity don't think he was doing, he was proving he was God. You see, as one man, Adam got us into this. That's why we blame other people. That's why we hide. That's why we have to work. That's why childbearing stinks. That's why we nag all those things. As one person got us into this, the Bible says there's another one, a second Adam. That got, got, gets us out of it. And I just want to read to you what Paul says about this. He does a really good job of just explaining this. And so in Romans 5, I'm reading from the message version in this. I just want to read it to you. Then we'll finish up. I want to read it to you. Yeah, here it is. Romans 5, verse 12, it says this. You know the story. It says Paul writing to us today, right? I mean, obviously it was to the Romans then, but God and all of his infinite wisdom and providence decided that this would be a part of us, him explaining his thoughts and his ways to us, right? That's why he says. You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in. First sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone. Okay, sin did it, right? But the extent of the disturbances was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So God has Moses write the book of Genesis. Let me just tell you how this all happened, right? So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. So death separated because we died. God keeps us out. We can't be like him. God's perfect. And because he's perfect, there's consequences. And the just God, we don't want him not to be just because then he, that makes God a pansy. We don't want God to be a pansy because he spoke the world into existence and he's in charge. If he's a pansy, we can run over him. We don't really have a God. We play our God. And if we play God, we end up flat on our face, right? So that's not what we want anyway. So he's saying, man, God being perfect, separate us, right? Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience the termination of life, the separation from God. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. Yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin put... Crowds of people at the dead end abyss of separation from God. So if one man put us all in this deal, right? That's what it says. Just think what God's gift poured through one man, Jesus Christ, will do. There's no comparison between the death-dealing sin and this generous life-giving gift. So he's saying, look, one got us into sin. The other is like the sin, actually because of what Jesus did, actually doesn't get us out of just death. It gets us into life is what he's saying. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence. The verdict of the many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence. If death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes? Sovereign life, and those who grasp with both hands this wild, extravagant life gift. This grand setting, everything right that one man, Jesus Christ, provides. Here it is in a nutshell. Jesus, as one person, just as one person did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many in the right. All that passing laws did against sin, all that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. Where it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with a death, and that's the end of it. Grace, because God, God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, and invites us into life. A life that goes on and on and on, world without end. A couple weeks ago, um, I shared with you a quote, and I said, "I said, here's what contentment is. And I if, if God hasn't provided it for you, you don't need it, right? Contentment, that, like to understand, if God has not given it to you today, it's because you don't need it today. That's it, right?" Let me, let me add to that. And let me tell you what pride is then. Because this is what got Adam and Eve in trouble. This is what got Satan in trouble. And this is what gets us in trouble. And here's what it is. Pride says this. If God hasn't provided it, then go get it yourself. Contentment says if God hasn't provided it yet, you don't need it yet. Pride says this. If God hasn't provided it yet, then go get it yourself. Adam and Eve chased after the fruit. And you know... I, God asked a pretty interesting question at the end of it. And he says, where are you? Not because he didn't know, but he thought it was pretty important that you asked that question. And for us in the deal, I'd say the same thing. Where are you? You see, because here's here's the picture we think of what Jesus did. We talk about Jesus saving us. We talk about all those things that Jesus did, and we talk about him saving us, and Jesus saved us, and here's kind of what we picture, right? We picture that we're a little messy, like we were having fun on a boat, maybe it was Fourth of July, and you're at Lake Lanier, wherever it is, and you're in Cocktail Cove. Maybe you've had a drink or two more than you should, or whatever, and you're just dancing around, and you fall out of the boat, right? And you're like, oops, so you're out of the boat, and you're kind of swimming, and then you stop swimming, and you start drowning, You stop falling back and forth, just a little bit, right? Like, so you're in and out, and a little bit of water's in your lungs, and all sudden, Jesus shows up on the boat and says, I'm Jesus, and then he throws you a life preserver, and, and like you get it, and you're like, thank you, Jesus, that's so great, Jesus save me, you know, whatever it is in the middle of that moment, we're like, Jesus save me, that's so good, right, and that's what we kind of think of Jesus saves, because we think we're not really that bad, maybe we mess up a couple of times, all we really needed was a life preserver, no, here's actually the picture, you're on a boat, okay, and you fall out of the boat. The boat keeps going, and it goes for miles, and you're just left, right? You're just left. And here you are in the water, and after days in the water, you you run out of energy trying to do it all yourself, trying to figure it all out. All of a sudden, you just kind of surrender and say, I can't do this anymore. And you start to fall. There it is, right? Yeah. And so you start to fall into the water, and then water fills your lungs, like completely, right? And you keep gasping for air, those last ones. And finally, after... A long time of bobbing up and down, you just completely give up. Water completely fills your lungs. And you die. You code. You're dead in the middle of water all by yourself. Okay? And for a while, you kind of float on top. But then water continues to get into your body and then fills you all the way up and you sink to the bottom of the ground. And you're there for days, months, years. I don't know. To the point where bottom feeders start feeding off you. In the ground, dead and nasty. And here's here's really the story of Jesus. That's who you were. That's who you are. Dead, hiding, ashamed, broken, and lifeless. One man got us into sin, into death, right? Lifeless. And then Jesus goes in. I don't know how he does it. Goes in, says, go, go, Jesus arms. Reaches all the way down into the bottom of the floor. Pull. You out, brings you back to the ground, and doesn't give you CPR to resuscitate you, literally rips out your organs and rips out your heart and puts in a new one and breathes life in you, and then you wake up. That's actually the gospel. The gospel isn't Jesus throws you a life preserver and fixes you. The gospel is you're dead. Sin has broken you and you know it. That's why we hide. That's why we have a bunch of you know fig leaves trying to cover us up because we are dead in our transgressions. And Jesus comes in and doesn't just give us a life preserver, he gives us a brand new life and heart. He makes all things new. Doesn't just renovate, he doesn't just throw in a new part. He makes you completely new. And then what Romans 5 says is you were this. And because of what God has offering you, you get this. And so when you see people worship Jesus with their hands lifted, it might creep you out a little bit. You see people really, really passionate about his word Say, no, no, this is God's story. And you're like, that seems a little weird. Forgive us because we really can't help it. When you understand that we are dead in our sin and our trespasses and God breathed life into us, we can't help. But worship that God. We can't help but talk about that Jesus. And I know we go to school, we go to work, we have all these other things. But when you see that you were dead and that you were on a trajectory to spend eternity in an abyss separated from a perfect and loving God. And you see that Jesus comes in and makes you brand new. It's hard not to say, okay, Jesus is all about you. And so that's the question for you as you're hiding in the leaves right now. Where are you? Where are you? Not because Jesus doesn't know, but because most of us don't. Please say, God, I'm hiding because I don't have it figured out. Good. Good. Neither do we, but we can trust Jesus fully. Let's pray.